Welcome to Triple Bladed Sword, the podcast that looks at the science fiction, fantasy, and horror we read, watch, and play. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Pershan. I teach English literature and film studies at McEwen University, and this podcast is where I share my research and ramblings about books, films, and games set in impossible and improbable worlds. This episode is part of a series called Office Hours, which are about 15 minutes long, same length of a student visit during my office hours. They're devoted to the sort of meandering, reflective, and hopefully fun conversations uh, that I have with students who drop by to say hello. This week, I imagined a student asking me what I thought about the Snyder Cut of Justice League and Wonder Woman 1984. And if you're like, wow, that's a very specific sort of thing that you think a student would ask. No, I've had students ask me about what I thought of the Snyder Cut, at the very least, while our semester was still in session. And um, earlier in the term, people said, did you see Wonder Woman 1984? And I said, no. Uh, And they told me all the reasons why they didn't like it and why they were disappointed in it. And when I got around to watching it, I was surprised that, like, I was like, wow, I really enjoyed this. And maybe that's just one of those moments of I had a really low bar because everybody had told me they were disappointed, including my sister, who's a huge Wonder Woman fan. Um, But I, I think there are other reasons for why I liked it and why a lot of other people didn't. And that's one of the reasons I want to talk about it today. And I want to talk about Justice League because I love Superman. And so whenever I get an opportunity to talk about Superman, I'm going to talk about Superman. Plus, Justice League, the Snyder Cut, was released on March 25th on HBO Max. My birthday, my 50th birthday, was on March 24th. And so I have jokingly said that I think that Zack Snyder, you know, knew about it and he wanted to give me a birthday present. I know that's not the case. I know that Zack Snyder um, dedicated that movie to his uh, late daughter. Um, and and that, to me, is, is a beautiful thing in and of itself. It's one of the reasons that I love the Justice League uh, Snyder Cut is because it's a, a beautiful meditation on loss and um, coming to grips with those things, coming to, gr- coming to grips with grief. And ultimately, I, I think in many ways, Wonder Woman 1984 is as well. But they come at this from very different vantage points. Uh, to talk more about that, I just want to briefly digress to say that you, if you are interested in a really great conversation about the, 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 the divisive ongoing battle between Marvel fans and DC uh, Cinematic Universe fans, then you should check out the Gentleman Nerds podcast. Uh, they did an episode back when the Snyder Cut first came out called Call for Unity, in which they talked about the vitriolic battle between fans of the MCU and fans of the DC Cinematic Universe, the Extended Universe, the DCEU, I guess. Um, and it's it's a great episode, and I can't recommend it enough. I was just listening to it while I was out for a run this morning, and I just kept thinking, gosh, you know, I, I love this episode so much. I love so much of what they say. Um, and so rather than reinventing that particular wheel, I'm just going to say, hey, go over uh, to Gentleman Nerds and check out that episode on uh, the call for unity. But one of the things that I take away from that episode is the, 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 the battle lines between the idea that the Marvel Universe 
universe is bright and shiny, and the DC universe is dark and gritty, and the Gentleman Nerds do a great job of breaking down how this simply isn't the case, and that throughout the history of both uh, sort of filmic universes, and not we're not talking about the um, the perfectly cohesive MCU that's been developed uh, by Disney, but rather just Marvel in movies, and how there have been dark and gritty Marvel movies, and there have been bright and shiny Marvel movies, but there have also been really bright and shiny DC movies and bright uh, or dark and gritty DC movies, and neither has a monopoly on those things. And as I was thinking about that episode and thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, I was thinking about how Wonder Woman 1984 is bright and shiny, and that the first Wonder Woman movie wasn't so bright, and it wasn't so shiny. It was darker, and it was grittier. It was set in World War I, for heaven's sake. Um, and so the, the very mise-en-scene, the, 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 wor- the, the setting, the way that the film was shot, the look of, you know, the trenches. Uh, obviously, you know, anything that happens on the Amazonian home island is always gorgeous. Themyscira is always this, you know, it's Paradise Island, right? It's this place um, that is idealized. But uh, the real world was dark and gritty and kind of crummy. And, you know, that was one of the lessons Diana learns in the film. Wonder Woman learns in the film is that, you know, the world is is not... You can't just fix it by, you know, punching out a god. Um, And then we get to Wonder Woman 1984, and it's like ridiculously bright and shiny movie. And that was one of the things that a few people said to me that said it just didn't feel like, you know, it wasn't like a sequel to the first movie. It's just like out of the blue. It's this totally different thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, there's this the thing that C.S. Lewis said, and I, I believe it was in an essay that he wrote about uh, reading Dante. And I think he was, you know, fed up with critics of Dante's um, Divine Comedy who didn't understand what it was. And then they would go on about it uh, as though it were something else. And I I think about this broadly in literary studies because, um, you know, people who study literature will often take the same set of criteria that they assess James Joyce or Ernest Hemingway or Margaret Atwood or Toni Morrison or whomever it is. And then they go and they read, say, science fiction or fantasy, or they go and see a science fiction or fantasy film, and they use the same set of criteria. And I'm like, no, 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 and no. And that's what I love about Sherry Flanders, uh, critic, critic, she's a critic for the Chicago Reader, and she said, Wonder Woman 1984 is a technicolored, lighthearted romp through the era of jazzercise, big hair, and even bigger shoulder pads. She's nailing the mise-en-scene of that film. Okay, so the first film takes place in World War I, so yeah, it should be dark, it should be gritty, it should feel more somber and serious than Wonder Woman 1984. But in identifying that, you say like, okay, you watch the first you know, 10, 15 minutes of Wonder Woman 1984, especially once we get past the um, Themyscira Paradise Island flashback and we're in this mall and there's a a heist and Wonder Woman thwarts it. And as I was watching that, I could not help but think, oh my gosh, this isn't just a movie set in the 1980s. This is an 80s movie. 
this is an 80s movie. Matt Lynch, uh, in Review Online, said... Um, that there's a hokey simplicity of sentiment in this film, reminiscent of the original Richard Donner, Richard Lester Superman films. And I think that really nails what I was feeling as I was watching the film. This is not just a movie set in the 80s. It is an 80s movie made by Patty Jenkins in the 2020s. And that's that's really important, too, because I think that anyone who comes to this film and goes like, oh, boy, they really screwed this up is underestimating who Patty Jenkins is as a director, as a writer. She's involved in the cre- in so much of the creative control of her films. This is the woman that brought us Monster, for heaven's sake. And it's not me saying that like a good director can never make a bad movie, because Lord knows they occasionally do. But I don't think that Wonder Woman 1984 is a bad movie. I think people were disappointed by it, and that's a very different thing. And disappointment is all about expectations. We come to a movie with expectations, the movie doesn't match those expectations that's not the filmmaker's fault. That's you not having enough money to bankroll your own superhero movie, I guess. Um, but I mean, you take a look at the, again, the mise-en-scene, the design, the, the, the costumes um, of the film. Pedro Pascal as Maxwell Lord is the kind of villain that's straight out of the Wonder Woman TV series. Because you could, you know, the Wonder Woman TV series couldn't afford to have a supervillain every week. So they would go with like, you know, corrupt businessmen and and you know uh military men and and they were they were regular they, they were guys in suits quite often um and Kristen Wiig as cheetah doesn't go full cheetah until the very end of the movie and i think that that was also an homage to the wonder woman tv series where again you didn't have the budget to do full supervillain transformations um so what you did is you dressed people up in, in wacky versions of themselves, you know, like Kristen Wiig with her teased hair and her, you know, wild black, I'm, you know, Pat Benatar look um, that she has for a portion of the movie. So as I say, I don't think this film is a movie set in the 80s. I think it is an, an homage to the 80s movie, adventure movies, superhero movies, an homage to the original Wonder Woman TV series. Um and and once you watch the movie with those things in mind, I, I think it changes how, you, you know, you feel about the film at, at the style level at the very least. But let's talk about the content. Kate Erbland of IndieWire said that Wonder Woman 1984 is all about playing with magic and wishes and desires only to see them lead to horrible ramifications, instant gratification and the revelation that lying is never without consequence. And this in response to the controversy around um, the, you know, the inhabiting of someone else's body, uh, the handsome man who is put into dangerous situations, who, you know, it has sex without consent. That's some of the criticisms that have come by way of the movie. And I'm trying hard not to give a spoiler there. Um, but uh, <clears throat> my pushback on that is that that isn't framed in the film as a good thing necessarily late in the movie you know diana is faced with the realization that that choice is as problematic as the choices that everyone else is making in this film related to wishes at that her 
sin, you might say, is as bad as Maxwell Lord's, as Kristen Wiggs, that she is as culpable as anybody else. And then she changes, uh, she changes her heart. She says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go along with that. And so, you know, for somebody to look at the sequences involving the inhabited body and say, like, the movie isn't criticizing those in some way is missing the larger picture of the film. But I also feel that way about, you know, there's some people who are like, oh, my God, that she ropes clouds in this movie. It's ridiculous. You can't rope clouds. Uh, come on now. I just don't even know what to do with people when it comes to superhero movies and what pisses them off. Um, because, you know, it's it's the old, like, Wolverine's claws would rip up all of his tendons. And I'm like, you need to get out of the movie theater right then and there. Because this is not a serious drama that's meant to be perfectly verisimilar, right? Um, and I'm avoiding realism there because I don't think movies that are fictional are ever really realistic. They're almost always a focus on a particular facet of a fictional world. Um, so some, you know, as I was talking about earlier, some are bright and shiny and some are dark and gritty, and neither of those things is necessarily more realistic than the other. Because I got to tell you, with all the dopamine that's flooded through my system right now after being out for my morning run, um, everything looks really bright and shiny today, even though I know that there are all sorts of dark and gritty things going on in the world. And I don't even want to get into the argument that, like, you know, like, well, Wonder Woman is more of a divine being, and so she can rope clouds, and then she can fly, or I don't want to get into some sort of lore, all the comics ever discussion of, like, well, she flew in that one comic, or she flew in a bunch of comics. It's like, it doesn't matter. In this particular film, she ropes clouds, and she flies, and that's a metaphor for character development. So just take this movie on its own terms, don't try to bring the criteria of every superhero movie that's ever been made or even the last Wonder Woman movie, but rather come to this one and say, what are you? What movie are you and what's going on? And assess what it is by its own choices. Uh, what does what is you know, what is this film seeking to express uh, in terms of meaning or in, just in terms of style? So Wonder Woman 1984 is the bright and shiny movie from the, from DC this year. And, and again, it's so funny to me because people are like, oh, DC movies are too dark and gritty. And so Patty Jenkins is like, here you go. I have a bright and shiny one. And you're like, nah, you, you, you did, it's too bright. It's too shiny. My eyes, I can't see. Um, just let's switch over to something dark and gritty. Uh, Snyder's Justice League. I loved it. I'm just going to come right out and get straight to that. I absolutely loved this movie. I enjoyed watching it immensely. I was a little bit put off by the Academy aperture or Academy ratio, uh, the, the box that the film was presented in. Uh, we know it wasn't shot entirely like that because uh, the earlier version of Justice League um, that was released uh, in 2017 was widescreen. But um, Snyder released this one in uh, Academy uh, aspect and that is a stylistic choice and filmmakers choices always express meaning even if they don't intend to and initially i was like how do i get this to be widescreen and i you know and then i realized oh i can't i, I looked it up online and i realized that's how snyder wanted this movie to be and i was bothered by that and i thought this is going to ruin the movie for me and i'll tell you within about 15 minutes i didn't care anymore and by the end of watching the entire film I reflected that 
I actually felt like it focused my attention better. That's what that aspect ratio does. And I, I remember reading about how when we, we started having the big widescreen, what we think of as the letterbox aspect ratios, when we moved from, as, as, as film moved from using the Academy aspect ratio to this, you know, big widescreen, this Vista, there were filmmakers who said, this is going to ruin the art because the audience won't know where to look. And I thought about seeing films, really, really big blockbuster movies in IMAX theaters when they were widescreen and I didn't know where to look. This absolutely the truth. Now, this doesn't mean that I think that every movie should be made in the Academy Aperture Ratio. I just think that it worked for Justice League. I, f- I was able to focus my attention uh, better as a result and I, re- I really appreciated that. Uh, there's so much I could say about this movie. So much. Um, it's not a perfect movie. I don't think it's like, I mean, you know, say, well, what would you rate it? Would you give it five stars? Did you like it that much? Uh, subjectively, uh, yeah. <laughs> Objectively, no. Objectively, uh, give it a B plus. Maybe an A minus. It is not without its flaws. But one of the things that did stand out to me was just how distinct Snyder's vision is when you hold it up against the MCU. And again, this is not a, this is better than those other things. It's just different. Um, we did a, a, as a family, we did a watch through of all the Marvel movies to date last year, starting when lockdown happened in April. And we finished somewhere around November. And I still, even watching all of them again, there is a point at which I arrive at a sort of fatigue because there is a repetition of style, there's a repetition of approach to the filmmaking that creates this impressive cohesion. Not for a moment going to say, well, you know, there's no great achievement there. It is an immense achievement that the Marvel Universe is as cohesive as it is for film, right? Been doing this with television for some time, but to do it with movies, it's incredible. Uh, Really is outstanding, But it's also pretty cookie cutter, and it's one of the reasons that I think Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok were standouts, because they sort of broke the mold a bit. They did something different. They brought people the same thing that they were wanting, which is superhero movies, but they did it in a a new and interesting way. And if nothing else, we can certainly say that Zack Snyder has a unique vision. And sure, if you don't like slow-mo and you don't like really bizarre music choices, uh, you probably won't like it. And, you know, what were some of the things I didn't like about the Justice League movie? I felt like, you know, Snyder needs... uh, Snyder's blood is always just a bit too much for me. Like, even in Watchmen, I was like, wow! But for it to be here, it just always put me off a little bit. Um, But at the same time, I wasn't like, and now that movie has been ruined for me. And I find that, you know, I, I run into people all the time who are regularly who will say oh i hated that movie and it really comes down to like one scene or one thing that happened and i'm like wow that's you know just it gets spoiled that quick for you hey but what really stood out to me was a a sadness i guess at ray fisher missing the opportunity to have in some ways prepared the way for black panther the next year uh, if this if this had been the film that was released in 2017, well, firstly, I don't I don't even know if it would have been successful at four hour at a four hour length. But let's just imagine that it could have been. It would have been the first foray where 
a black superhero, a young black superhero is the heart and soul of the picture. Because sure, Batman's there and Wonder Woman and I'm there for Superman, but Cyborg, played by Ray Fisher, is the heart and soul of this movie. And, I mean, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but you should know this by the... Like, when you find out who Cyborg is and what his sort of origin story is, you should know he is easily one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful, of the Justice League in this film. And if only for Ray Fisher as an actor, I just feel like that is really too bad that we missed that opportunity. And I certainly hope that Warner Brothers can see the wisdom in picking a cyborg story up at the very least. But as I said earlier, content-wise, this movie is all about grief. It's about loss over and over again. And so is Wonder Woman 84. One does it with bright and shiny. The other does it with dark and gritty. And I think what's great about the, the that podcast episode that I was talking about earlier from Gentleman Nerds is that they say to their listeners, hey, you know what? If you want dark and gritty, there's dark and gritty out there. You can find your dark and gritty superhero movies and you can enjoy them. If bright and shiny is more your thing, then we've got lots of bright and shiny out there for you. But let's stop coming to these things and expecting that they'll always be what was there before. Because then we miss the opportunity to really see what a brand new show like WandaVision is doing when it's taking superhero stories and driving them in incredibly new directions. And again, a wonderful, uh, you know, treatment of grief and its ramifications from the Marvel Universe. I mean, there's three three things right here. We can watch Wonder Woman 84, we can watch uh, Justice League, and we can watch uh, WandaVision, and they would all, they're all so terribly different, and yet in some ways we'd be able to go, oh, this one's talking about grief in this way, and this one's talking about grief in this way, and you could sort of see them coming together to generate maps for our territory. Uh, those of us who are in the territory of grief, being able to see that mirrored in three completely different ways with superheroes. So instead of going like, well, back in issue number whatever and bringing the lore in or doing some sort of like, well, the Marvel Universe is better in this great big pissing match that feels just a bit too much like my hockey team's better than your hockey team, um, my city's whatever is better than yours, uh, that unending competition, which is probably part of our evolutionary lineage. Let's try to rise above that. Let's rope some clouds, if you will, and go a-flying high above the this one's better than that, assessing each film on its own merits and its own failings. And that doesn't mean we can't compare movies, compare and contrast. That's a good, that's a good approach. But what if we were to, instead of saying which one was better, simply say, how does this movie address loss, address grief, and how is it distinct or similar to these other ones? Next week, I have no idea what I'm going to be talking about. Um, I just want to sort of be in the moment. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to surprise y'all. We'll see what, what comes out. Or if one of you gives me a suggestion, maybe that's what I'm going to end up talking about. If you have something you'd like me to talk about in a future office hour, leave a suggestion or a question in the comments wherever you can find me online, and I'll do my best to get it. Where can you find me online? You can find me on Instagram, both as at DocPershawn and as at TripleBladedSword. I don't know why I'm always saying the at. It's like, of course you know. I mean, if you're on Instagram, you know that you have to use the at. You can follow my Facebook page, TripleBladedSword, teaching fantasy, science fiction, and horror. 
Um, I'm departing Twitter shortly, so if you follow me there and you want to stay in touch, now's the time to make the leap. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a comment, and share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Mike Pershawn, and this is Triple Bladed Sword. <laughs>